0: Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hello, I'm Scott Postma, your host, and I'm joined by Joffrey Sweet, our co-host and academic advisor. How's it going, Joffrey?
1: I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to talking about the vital importance of rhetoric today.
0: Yeah, rhetoric in the 21st century. Now, when people say rhetoric, you know, you think politically rhetoric, that always has such a negative connotation. Is rhetoric bad like that? Well,
1: watch? you know, it's, it's sort of funny because having been around classical education for as long as I have been, um, it, it's, it, 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 the, that argument gets kind of a, a little repetitive, actually. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be said every time. Right. Because of how dominant this negative idea of what rhetoric is, has become, right? People just use the term basically to mean it's an effective public lie. Right. Right. When rhetoric actually is, is the, the art of speaking and communicating well. Yep. Right. And we could totally unpack that. We are going to totally unpack that, but it's, it really is more of a commentary on our culture that the way we use the word now (laughs) implies (laughs) deceit.
0: Well, that and and that's what one of the things that Aristotle brings up in his definition, you know, the idea that we can use any manner of persuasion or or learning all manners of persuasion possible, right? Um, but then he says it has to be done by a person whose motives are right, otherwise you become a sophist, or you know, the sophistry that we were, you know, were aware of. Right. And that's usually kind of what's conflated there is those two ideas. So rhetoric, um, is part of the trivium. When we think of, um, you know, when we think of classical education or liberal arts education, we have the trivium and you have the quadrivium. And the trivium consists of, of course, grammar, logic, or dialectic, and rhetoric, and usually is understood as kind of the final stage, the art of being able to speak the things that you can reason and know clearly. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today in terms of You know, how this can be applied in the modern sense. But one of the things that has kind of motivated this conversation or kind of brought it about um, is um, our Leonberg Prize for Excellence in Rhetoric.
1: What an excellent competition that was last year. And we're looking forward to having another one this year in August. Absolutely. So I,
0: I realize this kind of starts out our podcast with a little bit of a shameless plug, but um, students can participate in the Leeuwenberg Prize, right? Um, yeah. By signing up for one of our summer speech courses this year, it is uh, story and speech uh, taught by Carla uh, Memont. And so they can sign up for uh, when they take that course, they can sign up for the prize and we give away a hundred dollar cash prize. Um, yeah. And a medal and (laughs) excellence in rhetoric. And we have a a fun, um, presentation. Each of the students, you know, give a presentation in front of judges and we have a great time doing that. Yeah.
1: Well, and you know, a, 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 a prize and a medal are a great thing to put on a college application. Uh, but really it's just the the class and the competition itself will make you a better human. And that's going to be a lot of what we talk about today. I really love that the course that this year is associated with the Lienberg prize is about stories, stories and connections, make good speeches. That's yeah. the first line of the course description. I'm yeah. all about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the great stories that inspired this, obviously we call it the Lienberg prize because our. What do we call it? our patron educator, yeah. <laughs> Johannes Kepler, mm-hmm. kind of our our muse for Kepler education, um, was known, you know, uh, Harmonices Mundi the you know famous work that he did in 1619. But what a lot of people don't know about this mathematician and astronomer and you know theologian. Is that he was also a masterful rhetorician? And of, of time. course
1: he was, because he was a man in full, educated classically. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: <laughs> a, a classical, classically educated person. We were talking about that earlier, right? That uh, that Heinlein quote uh, uh, yes. about specialization. Or maybe it, maybe you'll read it now. Yeah, I you should. Know. Yeah. Let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Uh, I had it here just a moment ago. Uh, but there's this great quote by a writer, kind of a um, different sort of fella.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah know, a, fun- a funky science fiction writer.
0: Okay. and But he has this great quote. And I am stalling here because I just lost it. Um, but uh, here we go. So he says this. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly. Because specialization is for insects.
1: Oh, boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Kepler was was no insect. He was a man in full.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So wow. this all kind of started when this, um, I don't know, there's a craze in the 17th century where there were people being arrested for witchcraft, mm-hmm. right? And uh, most scholars estimate somewhere around 50,000 people were tortured. Many of them burned at the stake. And Across things. Europe. Across Europe, yep, yeah. For um, for this act of of witchcraft and and this varied from everything from people learning about science and medicine and and things that were, you know, beginning to emerge and understand to people being vindictive and, you know, various ways you could get people in trouble. But in one particular incident, his mother at 68 years old was accused of being a witch and the trial went on without her being arrested for a little while. And then finally, a very um, eager magistrate decided to have her arrested. And this particular magistrate, um, under his uh, magistracy, I guess is what you call that, um, he had, I think I think there was something like 13 or 14 people arrested, mm. eight of which were put to death for witchcraft. Mm. So this obviously very concerning for Johannes Kepler's mother's arrested. She's 68 years old. They chain her to the prison floor, 14 months she's in there. Um, so trial goes on for a little while. they finally arrest her, and he writes a hundred and twenty eight page legal brief and then presents before the court um what uh one scholar called a masterful uh piece of rhetoric mm. um and you know effectively he ended all of the you know the hysteria about the witchcraft thing you know got his mother free and, and ended this witchcraft there at least in Leonberg.
1: yeah and and one of the not only did did he free his mother. But he made it so that that sort of, you know, (laughs) witch hunting. (laughs) (laughs) What is that called
0: when you use, uh, when there's a a metaphor for the actual thing itself?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. But he he made it so that um, it wasn't viable anymore in that area. In fact, it was risible. Right. You know, because he exposed how ridiculous it was. And, you know, that makes it very relevant to a lot of things happening today.
0: Yes. So today um, students just like, I mean, there's witch hunts today, right? I mean, uh,
1: Uh, I can't believe I converted an actual witch hunt to a witch hunt. (laughs) Now we're moving safely into the ground Uh, of metaphorical speech. There's gotta be something
0: there. I don't know what that's called, (laughs) but that's fabulous. Um, so yeah, we have, you know, I, I think one of the things that, You know, probably are most apparent, right, is this idea of social media today. Yeah. So social media gives rise to what I would call, you know, the wanton democratic opinion. You know, the ancients understood that there's a, there is a spectrum between what, um, we actually knew and what we don't know. And then wherever you're at on that spectrum is your opinion. Right. Right. And so not all opinions are equal, contrary to what most democratically thinking people do.
1: Well, you know, I and believe. the ancients believed not only in the radical idea of the objectivity of truth, yeah. right. And then having that spectrum as, or we are subjective so creatures, archaic. I know, <laughs> but you know, also, uh, of, of being a just man. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and so then, also, you know, nobility comes into this. Those are the two things that make opinions unequal, right? Right. Uh, what you are actually able to to know and 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 of the truth, mm-hmm. uh, but that's not the only factor. The other factor is your nobility, yes. and the the way to be noble is to learn more and more truth and to handle it well.
0: Yeah. Well, and and so when a person has integrity, then we can go back to that original um, definition. Exactly. That is true rhetoric. If they don't have integrity, integrity, then we call these sophists that it reminds me of a, there was a, um, uh, an attorney uh, when I was pastoring in Las Vegas. And he was one of these guys that had the big billboards out there. Oh, yeah. And uh, his name was Glenn Lerner, the heavy hitter. And he'd always walk around with a baseball bat, you know, and it was something like, uh, in a wreck, and need a check, you know. <laughs> <call 8771 laughs> You're drawing a very vivid picture. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, these are the sophists. These are the ambulance yes. chasers. These are the people who use the art of persuasion or the law or whatever to their advantage, but don't have the integrity about. The manner of truth. Right. And of right.
1: course, you know, these are uh, a, an ambulance chaser is, is a great example because they're so easy to recognize. But really, the reason the word rhetoric has changed in popular culture is because. There are a lot of sophisticated sophists. Right. Yes. Right. And so your, your Bill Clintons are your sophists.
0: <laughs> well, that all depends on what the <laughs> definition of the word is, is.
1: <laughs> if, you couldn't have said it better.
0: <laughs> so, um, all right. So let's talk about how, uh, how and why do students today, um, you know, how do they learn rhetoric in the most proper sense? And why do we need it? Why? I mean, especially in terms of like the cancel culture, right? Mm. This kind of Machiavellian approach to power, um, you know, uh, Rene Girard's idea of the scapegoating. Mm -hmm. This is really in play. So how does a student learn rhetoric um, and then how do they apply it in a situation like this?
1: Well, I I think the 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 biggest step you can take is the first one, Mm -hmm. right, which is to recognize um, that rhetoric is not. As to science, it's living life. Yeah. Right. Um, and that uh, being just and wanting to use the word are important and must be practiced. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, it's, that's in the background of, of, you know, what we keep preaching from this podcast, which is, you know, kind of summed up nicely in that Heinlein quote. Right. But we've, you know, we talk about generalism all the time, not because we want to be. You know, shallow about everything, right? But rather because we want to be uh, full humans. And a full human is submitted to Christ and he loves. And to love, you have to be able to present that love. You have to be able to be rhetorically skilled, rhetorically active.
0: I, I love your definition right now because what the very thing that came to my mind is the old King James word let you when he says let your conversation right mm-hmm. uh, be becoming of Christ and, and I'm paraphrasing there but that word conversation is lifestyle yeah you know? and yet that word conversation we use today you know part of that is in,
1: in our speech
0: right and, oh absolutely and so there's this connection that our life is you know it has to line up with what we say and what we believe so that's part of our rhetoric
1: yeah you know? and, and and living beautifully yeah as well uh, there's a, a manley Hopkins a Jared Manley Hopkins poem called as Kingfishers Catch
0: Fire,
1: hmm. um, which I think I might, uh, I might read to you now. Yeah, read it. Um, um, and, and particular, so there are two stanzas, and the, the second stanza is really where it becomes relevant to this podcast. But I can read the whole thing. As Kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring. Like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same deals out that being indoors. Each one dwells selves goes itself myself. It speaks and spells crying. What I do is me for that. I came. I say more the just man justices keeps grace that keeps all his goings. Graces acts in God's eye. What in God's eye he is Christ for Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his to the father through the features of men's faces. Beautiful. And, you know and we have to, we have to be aware of our nature yeah. right and our new nature in Christ and we are representing Christ to the universe yes and to all of mankind and so we want to be just because the just man justices the just man keeps grace the just man displays Christ there is Christ in 10,000 places and you're one of those places. And you must be lovely and you must be true. And being lovely doesn't mean people like you.
0: Mm. Interesting. So being lovely means people don't like you. So that means that if well, maybe. you are, <laughs> well, no, I, I, I think what I'm hearing you say is in, in a world today where you might speak the truth and you say there's absolute truth and your life reflects that, um, then you may not be, you know, appreciated by the powers that be. That's not, right. Yeah. And so,
1: and it may not always be syllogistic. Yeah. right? It may be that the, you know, you're representing the truth. I mean, if you're, if you're representing the truth, for example, through your life, then that's very much an aesthetic apologetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? yeah, sure it is.
0: Well, okay. So, so this brings up another question that's really interesting to me. So we, we want to learn the art of speaking well, and that starts with the art of living well, right? You can't, yeah. you can't have one without the other, but then we live in this culture, this cancel culture, this sort of, you know, if, if you speak something that's disagreeable there's no rational public discourse any longer Mm -mm. it's just you're canceled you become a scapegoat or the you know with the victim in that so how is a student i mean what would be the point of learning rhetoric and and the art of speaking well wisely and eloquently as as saint augustine said if you're not even going to get to use that you're going to be canceled how does a person deal with that you know, today, are there examples?
1: Yeah, there there are. And I think one of the most important ideas before we look at, at an example that I have at hand, (laughs) (laughs) almost like we prepared for this podcast, um, is that we need to be willing to die. Yeah. Right. You have to be willing Mm -hmm. to wait. If you're going to fight a battle Then you need to realize this is what happens in battles. Sometimes you get killed, but what you, what you need to make sure you do is that you expose the fact that you're being murdered.
0: Okay. So wait, I'm going to just pause you there. So yeah. you're saying to be a good rhetorician, mm-hmm. I mean, to be the good man who speaks well, to be good, to do this, as we've talked about, you have to be prepared to die. Yes. if You're going to learn rhetoric. You have to be prepared to die.
1: Right. If you're, if, if you are committing to engage in battle, and this is an unfortunate thing, say for a lot of of Christians, mm-hmm. for example, who get into apologetics, yep. right? They get into it to win. Yeah. No, no, no. You get into it to be beautiful, to be mm-hmm. true, to be good. Right.
0: Interesting. And God
1: will be with you. Maybe like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, <laughs> you don't get burned in the furnace. Right. Maybe you do <laughs> get burned <laughs> in the furnace, but that's not what made what you did good. You know, mm-hmm. it's you say you were you were faithful to God. Yeah. Right. And then, and then you, you expose you expose the murder. So, and I say murder, like the destruction of your public reputation or whatever it is.
0: Well, one of the, one of the things that's so interesting as as you're calling this murder, being prepared to die, think about why rhetoric came about in the very first place, going back to the ancient Greeks. It was a solution to war. It was a solution to physical war instead of battling it out, you know, with, you know, weapons and who's going to be the greatest hero. Let's talk it out and who's going to be the most persuasive. Yes. Yeah.
1: well, I think that one of, the, one of the great things about studying rhetoric classically is that you, you embrace uh, something that is difficult for moderns and for modern Christians. Um, this is not the sum of rhetoric, but it's a part of rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And that is that your reputation is involved. Right. Your person is involved. It's not simply about who has the best syllogisms. It right. never has been. Right. right? You are a, an honorable man. Therefore, well, you should be heard. That's an important part of, of, of any rhetorical action. Yeah,
0: absolutely. An honorable man with an honorable message, right? Yes. And, and, and deserves to be heard.
1: Right. And so, you know, be, being able to embrace that uh, is, is important. And be able to communicate what that honor looks like. So there's a story on PJ Media. Pro-Trump game designer gives a masterclass on how to respond to the cancel culture mob. Um, and you know, it's PJ media. They're, they're a great resource, but you know, they very much write, they write a lot of stories like blog style, like let's okay. quickly whip them out. So there's, you know, not necessarily a lot of, a lot of meat on the, on the, on these bones. We'll put a link to the story in the description. Um, and then you're, you know, you, I encourage you to do, uh, to do further, further research if you're interested, but Scott Cawthon, um, who is a video game designer of a horror sur- horror survival video game called five nights at Freddy's. <laughs> uh so he um he was uh, attacked by uh, um, a cancel culture mob uh, by lgbt activists who discovered that he had donated to problematic candidates and you know there was a list of four and four re- re- republicans including trump um but then uh gabbard was among them a democrat so of course the cancel mob is only interested in canceling so they found a reason uh mm. to to condemn him for that too to not let the 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 cancel balances even out, right? right? The, right. Uh, which is was that, uh, Gabbard had voted against some trans uh, sports bill, okay. right? So she had, she actually is apparently aware that to at least some degree girls are girls and boys are boys, <laughs> <laughs> and so it just it just you know heaped more and more vilification upon upon Cothin this way. Um. So, coffin uh, has contributed to all the, all these folks, um, and he was doxed. Right. He was threatened um, and uh, trending for a while on Twitter or there were these things to cancel him. The way he attacked, he fought back um, was to speak plainly, openly, logically, to speak to his audience and beyond. Right. And, and to show that he had lived a just life. Okay. Right. Uh, and that he had been behaving justly. He may or may not have won with that, but that was what he had to do. He did not apologize. He did not bow down to the evil ones.
0: Thus, he was prepared to die.
1: He was prepared to die. Exactly right. What happened in his case, and I think what would happen more if more people just fought back, Mm -hmm. was that on Twitter, you know, I stand with Scott started to trend. Even after he said, I'm a Republican, I'm a Christian, I'm pro-life, I believe in God. Right. He said those things, but still I stand with Scott trended. He found a way to talk to a, a broad audience mm-hmm. and show his just life. He also said things like, I also believe in equality and in science and in common sense, despite what some may say, all those things can go together, go together being a Christian sure. and pro-life. That's not an apology or promise to change. He said those words okay. and that's very important. It's the way it's always been. If I get canceled, then I get canceled. I don't do this for the money anymore. I do it because I enjoy it. And that's it. You know, he, he said, I love this community and this fan base. Boom, that's it. And then the community, his his fan base, you know, b- began to to push back.
0: So he he in a sense rallied some folks behind. That's really interesting because Cicero says what? It's it's to move to instruct and to delight your audience. And I can see how, you know, on a, a social media platform, um, his stance, taking that on a stance, you know, employed or embraced each of those aspects of, of rhetoric.
1: Yes. And I think it's very important that he refused to apologize. Yeah. Right. I mean, you apologize when you need to apologize, Yeah, but you, you don't apologize to escape death.
0: Isn't that an interest? Yeah. That's an interesting part of rhetoric today, especially in this culture where you're called on to apologize for things that you shouldn't apologize for, right? Which, so it's interesting that good rhetoricians, somebody who's, who understands the art of it knows that to apologize when you shouldn't is actually a sin.
1: Yes. Right. And, you know, I think that, that, that you know, we don't want to be stubborn donkeys. Right. So that means that we need to present our justice, mm-hmm. our just lives. And we need to say, you know, behold, my hands are clean. Here's why. Yeah. Right. Watch this video, listen to this speech, read these paragraphs, whatever it is, and then let, you know, what what may happen, happen.
0: That is interesting. And and one of the things now that come to my mind is, is you think about some of these who have been public speakers, uh, public apologists, Christian apologists whose hands weren't clean. Right. Right. Mm. And so their rhetoric falls and they become, you know, like Paul says of the Jews in in Romans chapter two, that they, you know, that that their life basically became blasphemy to God.
1: Can we read that Heinlein quote again? Yeah. And just have everyone just think, and we'll read it slowly. Just think about the ones that involve verbiage. Mm. We'll just accept that they all involve rhetoric to some degree. Okay. But we don't want to do the thing. Where, you know, like we talk about, Christians like to talk about, for example, lifestyle evangelism, <laughs> right? And, and that, that ends up actually being an out from actually ever talking to someone about the gospel <laughs> right. or proclaiming the gospel, right? So we're not going to do that. Um, we understand that our entire lives are rhetorical in the best sense, but let's actually think about the word, the verb. How, you know, how many of these involve speech and communication?
0: I'm going to mess up this introduction. <laughs> Right now, because when you talked about lifestyle evan- lifestyle evangelism, it brings to mind a cartoon that went went around for a while back when that was the big term. And these guys were in a boat, uh, and he says, "So how do we do this?" And he said, "Well, you got the fishing hat, and you got the fishing pole, and you got the coat, and they should be jumping in any time now." <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to the Heinlein quote: uh, A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog. Con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly.
1: Yeah. So by my count, that's basically an even set, like, you know, half of them involved words and other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I mean, that's sort of what our lives are, are like, yeah. right? And that's how we should, we should be living so much of what we do involves other people. Yeah. And I mean, it's, we, we can't be human if we're not rhetorical
0: well that's that comes back when when we were talking earlier about you know that being part of the liberal arts you know in order for us you know the the full education the full orbed education isn't just that I have it in my head isn't is isn't just that I'm able to you know speak a language or um, or or read literature or be able to work out syllogisms or or math equations but the ability now to express those truths in this universe, you know, and as you read that Hopkins uh, quote, um, you know, where people see Christ in that, in all of it, in everything that we, we say and we communicate. Yeah. So before and before we can go on even into the into the, the higher maths and, and astronomy, we have to be able to to operate at least in that, you know, the trivium and, and quadrivium. Yes. Uh, approach. You have to be able to operate as a communicator into the world before that you, you know, before you can move into these other spheres.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's, it, it's not, it's the, on the one end, it's the expression, but on on another end, it's the foundation. Yeah. Of, of who we are. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, so God is a creator who speaks things into being. And that's what he made us to be. Yep.
0: Uh, well, and Tolkien said, we're what? Sub creators. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Having been created now, we are, we are entering into that. So. Well, uh, fun conversation about rhetoric and, yeah. and, and the importance of rhetoric. And, and I just want to reiterate again, uh, at Kepler, we, we believe that this is an essential part of a student's education. And one of the courses we offer every summer, and one of the reasons that we do offer it is because we believe it. It's, it's what we, we really want to promote and help students to embrace, uh, to learn this art, to be become proficient in it. Um, and to participate and to make it fun, you know, yeah. to make it enjoyable so they can take a class and, uh, the, the teacher who's teaching this year, Carla Mimont is her and her husband. Um, uh, he's an attorney. They've been involved in debate and, uh, n- at the national level, uh, for number of years. So highly qualified to teach a class for Christians on rhetoric and, and, and the art of persuasion and speaking eloquently.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, you, uh, you brought up a science fiction writer, Robert Heinlein. Uh, So I'll bring up another science fiction writer, uh, Corey Doctorow, uh, who said something to the effect that uh, there's, you know, and I'm not sure if I totally agree with the beginning, but really, I mean, it is a wonderful quote. He said something like, there's no such thing as talent. It's just people who don't notice they're practicing. Uh. (laughs) And, you know, it's really important for, you know, homes. There are are many ways to go about it, but homeschoolers need to be uh, aware and conscious of, of making sure to do this with their children which is to put their kids in, in situations where they must present, they must speak, yeah. they must argue in front of others. It's not a talent. You know, Mr. Yeah. Memot, the lawyer, uh, you know, he, he may have a little bit, you know, more comfort in front of people, may have had that when he was 10, but, but really that, that's actually not how you get it. What you get it is that you had to get in front of people and talk, right? right? And doing that makes you better. And you get more comfortable and you don't notice that you're practicing, but you're constantly practicing uh, rhetorical behaviors and, and, you know, putting yourself out there and speaking and communicating and being beautiful. You have to practice that. And if you can get to the point where you don't notice that you're practicing, that's great. But it's it's so easy to for, just forget to include that in the education of our children. Yeah. And to let, I mean, and this happens in schools too, right? Where it's just... You know i choose to be a wallflower and that's just what's what's going to happen
0: well and and when when you adopt that sort of behavior that sort of you know perspective about your you know your position in the world and and you'll never get comfortable right and and so you have to start somewhere starting as a young person uh engaging And, and another thing i think is really important when we're thinking about practicing is when you take a class in rhetoric when you take a speech course you begin to learn some of the concepts the tools that that are involved and when you become more familiar it's almost like diagramming a sentence when you know what a noun looks like and a verb looks like and and how they can be used in various parts of speech then the more you use it the more you write the more you speak the more you use the you know say english grammar um the better you're able to use those words and mm-hmm. it's the same thing when you're speaking i i have this tool have the figures of speech these tropes understanding how to best communicate these ideas, how to how to organize it. So there's all kinds of tools that you at least have to be vaguely familiar with right. to be able to practice
1: well. And you'll find that when you practice them, they just become a part of your life. When yeah. you're 27, you're not thinking about all of those things, right. you're just using.
0: that makes that makes me think of dancing cs i think c.s lewis used that right when you first learn to dance you're thinking about every movement and rhythm and then once you you know once you get past that then you can actually enjoy the activity right yes precisely (laughs) beautiful all right well thanks everybody i hope you have a wonderful summer and uh we're looking forward to uh talking about some uh some big ideas coming up in our next podcast
1: see you next week y'all